You're listening to The Way Home with Daniel Darling, a proud member of the Denim Audio Network. Hello and welcome to The Way Home Podcast. My name is Dan Darling. I'm your host today and I'm excited that you're joining me wherever you're joining me from, whether it's in your car or, you know, you're around the house doing who knows what chores or washing dishes. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts while I wash dishes. Kind of makes it go a little bit easier. But I'm glad you're listening wherever you are. We have a really outstanding new guest for us today on the show. But before we do that, I want to tell you about a couple of things that you might be interested in. First of all, as you head toward Easter, I want to remind you about my book, The Characters of Easter, which really profiles kind of each of the people that God in his sovereignty cast in the grand drama of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. People like the disciples, the women who met, who first saw the empty tomb, Pontius Pilate, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. Who are these people? What part did they play in the Easter story? I think you'll enjoy it. Great book for your family uh, to maybe read a chapter or two every day as you head toward Easter. You can get that anywhere books are sold. You can check out my website, danieldarling.com, and we have links there as well. Also, I have a new book coming out on Christian unity. It's called Agents of Grace. This is probably my most personal book. In this book, I talk about a few things that I've endured, but mostly, you know, how God has helped me to forgive. You know, what do we do when we're hurt by people in the church? How do we avoid cynicism? Why is Christian unity so important? What does love require when, when Jesus says in John 17 that Christians should would be known by our love for each other? What does that mean? And and also, what are the things that we should go to the mat for, we should fight for as Christians? And what are the issues that we should have convictions about, but be open-handed toward Christians who disagree? All that's in this book. I really am excited about it. It comes out May 9th, but you can pre-order it. If you go to your favorite bookstore, your favorite retailer, you can pre-order it. I would love for you to pre-order it. If you pre-order the book, it really just kind of tells the publisher and tells everyone that there's a lot of interest in the book. I really am praying that God will use this book. I, I just feel t- the last four or five years, Christians are, are fighting and savaging each other uh, in ways that are really help, uh, hurtful for Christian witness. And, and hopefully this will spark maybe a revolution in Christian unity and love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're interested in this, go to my website, danieldarling.com, or just go to your favorite retailer and look up Agents of Grace. We'd love for you to get that book. Okay, I want to join the guest that is coming on today. His name is Travis Dickinson. He is a professor of philosophy at Dallas Baptist University here in Dallas. He's got several books out, but his latest book is called Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. I really enjoy Travis. His work in ministry has really been directed toward helping people who have deep questions about the Christian faith and helping them guide them toward exploring the mystery of what it means to follow Jesus. And uh, if you're someone who has questions about Christianity, deep questions that you don't know how to answer, this is a this will be a conversation you'll enjoy. He talks about the right kind of question and the wrong kind of question when it comes to faith. So I think this is really helpful. If you have someone in your life who is a skeptic, who is a doubter, this might be a good book. And this also might be a good conversation for you. It's called Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. Let's join our conversation with Travis Dickinson. 
glad to have Travis Dickinson here on the Way Home podcast. Travis, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Travis, you teach at Dallas Baptist University, great school. And uh, before that, you taught here at Texas Baptist College, Southwestern. And uh, how long have you been teaching? Well, teaching probably, I mean, 1999, so whatever that makes it, 24 years. But I started teaching high school and that kind of thing. And then, you know, that was kind of before grad school, then did grad school and sort of taught throughout then. And so, yeah, for a while. So I I do want to talk about some of your your books. Uh, You've written a number of books, Wandering Toward God, Logic and the Way of Jesus, and, and a few others, Everyday Apologetics. So philosophy, apologetics, a lot of those things. Has this always been something that you've enjoyed having these conversations, this kind of scholarship? Is it something that you came upon late in life? Or just talk about your own pathway into this calling. Yeah. So for me, no, it's, uh, I mean, I think I've always been inquisitive. So I've always been curious and I didn't remember this, of course, but my mom recently told me that like I was the kid that was always asking the questions in our, you know, kind of family devotion time or whatever. So sort of always been that, but I never connected faith with, you know, the value of asking questions and, pressing in to, to just greater knowledge and, you know, kind of seeing that all fit in this beautiful package, the way in which I do now. So really what it was for me is I had graduated from college and started teaching at this Christian school, teaching Christian high school, and sort of thrown into a Bible class that was, I was told the topic was apologetics. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of knew what that was and and really had to sort of dive into it. And just found in my own self, like just growing in my own faith. And and again, so it was sort of like, okay, now I know what I want to do. I want to teach apologetics. But my thought was sort of, sort of get into school, get back out, keep teaching high school, keep doing uh, the student ministry thing. And yeah, I was really in, in the seminary experience, being challenged to love God with all of my mind and to, you know, devote a, a certain amount of years to this and, and that God would make this even more effective, you know, for the rest of my life. And so I really just bought in and just never stopped and <laughs> kind of kept on going, you know, sort of five degrees later. And yeah, here I am. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you are teaching Christian young people to think think through some of these things, apologetics and philosophy, and I think it's really important, especially today. There's a lot of questions, a lot of conversation about how young people are questioning the faith, although it's, it's funny, I'm 45, I think my entire adult life, there's been that sort of narrative that, oh, young people are are questioning the claims of Christianity, mm-hmm. young Christians, people who grew up in the church. But in your experience teaching, are you finding that kids that are coming to school are confident what they believe, that they have questions about it, kind of a mix? And has that changed over the years? Has the influence of things like social media and other factors shaped that, changed that in any way? What, what are you finding? Yeah, I think that there's definitely, you know, the way I always think of it, because I've I've got kids, uh, my wife and I have kids, and, you know, kids really start off in life very curious about kind of everything, and and they're not always able to articulate those questions very well, which is sometimes awesome, because they'll ask really awesome questions. They don't have a clue how awesome the question really is kind of thing. But I do think that that gets numbed a bit, and there's the questions are still there. Maybe the curiosity is still there in a way, 
but the, but it's been numbed in a way uh, from our constant entertainment, you know, focused mm-hmm. society. And so I do think that oftentimes, like we now have teenagers and preteens, we're, we're about the same age, uh, I'm 46, right? Sometimes, and we want to say, okay, like, all right, kids, like, what are your questions? Like, let's do this. Thing. Like, like, ask whatever you want to ask. You, you're not going to offend us. And and they're kind of like, I don't even know what to ask. Uh, mm. So I do think that there's a need to sort of in our ministry, like teach kids not only that it's okay to ask questions. That's a big part of the new book, uh, wandering toward God. But and how, but then also how to do that because I just don't think like the, the curiosities are there, but it's to articulate it. I, I do often think that they need a language or you know, sort of the conceptual framework to be able to articulate those things. And that's a that's a big part of parenting. That's a big part of a student ministry, or should be, uh, and even children's ministry and that sort of a thing. And even with adults, I think, uh, same thing, that they just don't know. It's like they don't know what they don't know, and they sure don't know how to ask about it. And so there's there's often a need to sort of provide that language so that they kind of even see okay yeah that is a big thing that i've sort of wondered about i just didn't know how to put it into words mm. uh that's that's really good so you're saying that there's um that makes a lot of sense i haven't thought about that but the sort of entertainment culture 24/7 entertainment almost numbs our curiosity yeah numbs kids from being curious asking questions all of that stuff because we're sort of always filling the, the headspace with, and it's with so things. passive. Like we're just sort of sitting there on the couch receiving all of it. There's very mm-hmm. little of a active, you know, intellectual engagement with that kind of a thing. And so mm-hmm. then when all of a sudden I come around and say, "All right, give me your hardest questions," and it's blank stares. And again, I don't think it's because they don't have curiosity. I really do think that they do. It's just they don't know how to articulate it. Yeah. Mm, that's really good. So your book, your your latest book is called Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. I love what you've done with this book. I think, first of all, sort of giving permission to people, to Christians, to ask questions. You know, you, you say, it's such a great statement, but you say Christianity is true and it can handle your questions that God, you know, God is not intimidated by our questions. And when you, when you say that, it makes me think of, of Thomas and I'm, you know, one of my, I think favorite disciples, I think he's, if you can say this underrated, you know, we think of him as doubting Thomas, which I think is completely unfair, but you know, the fact that he directed his questions toward God, that he was Mm -hmm. honest with God is really commendable. So talk about that. Talk about why it's good and right to ask questions to, to bring our doubts toward God. Yeah. Well, I think, it, it is good because I don't know how else we discover truth, honestly. Like, I mean, there is a way in which it might just be the case that somebody, you know, we get to sort of sit under somebody that just happens to sort of give us truth. But we really don't have knowledge. And I think that's the thing that I think we, you know, talk about underrated. It's it's the value of having knowledge. It's one thing to have truth, but it's another thing to have knowledge, in my view, where knowledge is a richer and deeper experience, where it's not only that we believe it, but we know it's the case. And I think we don't really get to knowledge unless we're really asking those deep and difficult questions. And yeah, I just think that, right, 
when Jesus, you know, gives us what is the greatest commandment, as he says it, right, the most important thing for us to do, it's at least in part to love God with all of our minds. And, you know, the, the fr- that phrase itself is is sort of difficult to sort of get our heads around, like, what, okay, what, what are you calling us to do to love God with our minds? And, and again, this was a big moment for me in my journey to realize that, one, like it is an intellectual journey. It is an intellectual pursuit of God. And that just, I don't, again, I don't know what that looks like other than sort of asking questions. But one of the things that I think was really important for me in the book was to, to make clear, to come clear in my own head of what this looks like. Because I don't think there's a way to question that's not a loving pursuit. Right, mm-hmm. you have plenty of examples in the Gospels of various ones who are questioning Jesus, the various religious leaders and Pharisees and the like, and even says like to, in order to trip Jesus up. Well, that's not the sort of questioning I have in mind. So, I think what is really such a game changer is when we realize that there's a way to like ask questions in the pursuit, you know. Uh, of relationship, of the pursuit of of love, and so I always give the example of you know uh, this happened same at Southwestern as it happens here, first semester students you know sort of couples form, and all they want to do is ask each other questions, <laughs> you know they don't want to do anything else other than sort of stare at each other and be in the vicinity of each other and really know each other. And I take it what they're doing is loving, in part, again, loving each other with their minds as they're asking these questions. And so, with the right kind of posture, that is not the posture of the Pharisee or whoever, not in the posture of a skeptic who's just never satisfied with any answer, or the cynic, uh, perhaps, but in the posture of a lover of God, my goodness, like... Asking questions is the way in which we come to that that deep knowledge of who God is. Mm. Yeah, you say that doubt is not the destination. Uh, right. We may be wandering, but we're wandering toward God. Yeah, is that is that really the difference between the kind of good questions, the honest curiosity, the the honest yeah. as 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 Paul says in Acts seventeen, people finding their way toward God. Yeah. Is that the difference between that and a sort of where Paul says also maybe to Timothy, ever searching, but never ever will come to knowledge of the truth? Like there's a maybe maybe, ex, maybe explain the difference between those two types of pursuit, those two types of questions. Yeah, right. So one, I think, is genuinely seeking after the truth. And one has a different agenda. I, I take it that the, again, coming back to the Pharisees and, and such, like they weren't really asking questions in order to find the truth. Again, the, their intention was to trip Jesus up. And so what we, what I, I think we have to do, again, like this was important in my own journey. And this, of course, the book comes out of, you know, I start the book with describing my own uh, struggles with, with doubts that came for me in seminary, actually. And I had like I had to find the truth. I couldn't I couldn't like go back. I couldn't reset. I couldn't ignore the doubts that I had. I had to find the truth. And so asking questions for me again it was a, a very much in pursuit of God. It wasn't it wasn't with some other agenda. It was just honestly trying to figure out and I was open perhaps for the first time in my life having grown up in a very Christian background. I was open for the answer to be it's not true. 
right? This whole thing is 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 not true. That Christianity is not true. Or God doesn't exist, or whatever. I, I, it was it was I, I hadn't been there. I think my whole life until that moment, and so I just had to, as honestly as I possibly could, ask those deep and difficult questions. But again, it wasn't as a skeptic or a cynic. It was it was in pursuit of God because I just, but I just had to. I had to know. I had to. I had to ask the questions to to find the truth. Whereas again, I think a lot of people. I've got friends who are. I mean, I've got some honest seeking friends who are you know unbelievers. But I've got other guys in my life that, that are friends as well. But you know, I, I think they're just not in the posture of of a seeker. They're in the posture of a cynic or a skeptic where no answer. I can give them a knockdown, drag out <laughs> answer to their question, and they just dismiss it and say, you know, whatever. And and so yeah. I, I think it's what the agenda is. And so in asking our questions, our agenda should be both seeking the truth about God and as we become convinced that God's there, to be seeking God, to be loving Him with our mind. Mm. Yeah, I think about this, you know, there's a sense today, Travis, that among some, I think, I want to be charitable, but I think maybe some more progressive evangelicals or ex-evangelicals or... Sure, sure. Where the worst thing in the world that you can have is certainty on anything. Yeah. Right? So certainty about anything. And I'm not talking about certainty about, you know, things that are sort of vague or mysterious, but any kind of certainty is like is wrong, and it would seem that there's a sense in which some don't even actually want to know the end of the answers or the end of the questions. But then I also think of, you know, as you said, that asking these questions is really important. I think of myself; I never really had a period of doubt necessarily in terms of is this true, even though I grew up in the church. Okay. Though I've had doubts in terms of, does God love me? Is he caring sure. for me right now? Why is this happening? But I do remember when I was in college and reading Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I wasn't doubting. But after I read that, I, I came away saying, okay, you know, this faith that I have pledged my life to, the faith that my parents, you know, first generation Christians are involved with, this is not just like a crutch. This is like a real thing. Yeah. Like it, it, it gave me excitement and joy. Mm-hmm. So, so it seems to me that questions about the faith don't always have to arise out of a crisis moment. Sometimes That's right. They do. Absolutely. But sometimes you're reading apology. This is why I always felt like apologetics is both, you know, evangelistic and missional, but it's also to edify the body and the church. And I remember reading that and being like, okay, like I'm part of something that's actually true and has firm foundation. Absolutely. And that, I think that's, you know, you know, there's there's a number of books out there on doubt, and I've occasionally been asked like, what's like, why another book on doubt? <laughs> and I always say, well, in part because I, it's not primarily. I mean, it, it's definitely a book on doubt, but it's. Uh, I think my focus is more on the value of asking questions, and it does. You're right. I think that's a, a excellent point that it doesn't have to be coming from a place of doubt. But I don't see how we know God like in this general, uh, uh, genuine and sort of rich way without truly just asking and, and pursuing God and again, loving God with our minds. And so, yeah, and I think the whole you know phenomenon that we're seeing today of the sort of deconstruction mm-hmm. movement and things like that, I'm not 
you know, there's a lot of people who are like very upset and very <laughs> worried about this and so on. And I am too in various ways. But I do think that there's a, a, some good in it. I think that I think what what's important for us to do is is to really consider what is our, you know, kind of how really what we need to do is exactly what you did is which which is coming to that place where we see oh, this is like actually real. It's not just what I like a cultural thing I've grown up with. And and that's that's an important place to come and if that comes through a sort of deconstruction, you know, doubting sort of experience, mm-hmm. well, well that's fine, you know. The worry about the deconstruction movement, of course, is that it's almost become synonymous with deconverting. And that seems Mm. to me to be very different, of course. If we mean by deconstruction just asking those deep and difficult questions, possibly for the first time and trying to separate out what's, you know, truth and just something, you know, some sort of things that have been attached to it in in our growing up experience or, or in our cultural experience, Man, that is a really important thing to go through. But if it just means I no longer believe and let's celebrate that fact. So that's the point about doubt not being the destination. I don't want though it's though I think doubt has a value, I think it only has a kind of instrumental value for where it leads you. Because I think it leads us when handled properly to truth and knowledge, right? And I'm not sure that the deconstruction folks are after truth and knowledge as much as just sort of reacting to and rejecting in these sort of deconversion moments. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you you said that. I, I I also love the fact that you talk about it as a sort of a uneven journey, if you will. Yeah, that we wander toward God, and I I, I so much love that. I when I was studying Peter a while back, you know, Peter it seems like there was a series of calls and not one call, and even at the end of his life, he, he denies the Lord and he comes back and he's doubting and he's not sure. It kind of re- really describes all of us, right? That yeah. It's messy. We learn theology. We we learn a lot about God. We can have a lot of certainty about a lot of things, but there's still so much mystery, so much that, as Paul says, we see through a glass darkly. That's right. I, I, love, the, I love that approach that you take there, that we're all sort of on this uh, a spectrum in terms of what we know about God and what we, yeah. what we come to believe. Well, and that's what I'm really hoping, you know, I hope it's a book that can just be handed to someone who's, you know, in the thick of it. And I hope it's encouraging. Honestly, that's one big reason why I wanted to write it is because uh, it's just to be a help and an encouragement through that time. Because what I want to do is it it becomes so pressurized. Like when (laughs) when I've been in those moments, it's... I feel like I'm doing something wrong by questioning. I feel like, you know, you know what's happening to me. I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. And it can get so emotionally pressurized where just releasing some of that pressure. So the very first thing I say in the book is like, if you're doubting, it's okay. You know, in fact, you're, you're normal if you're doubting. You're in very good company. And it's Peter, it's Thomas, it's all the disciples, it's the whole corpus of the Old Testament in a way. If you, you, you can't read the book of Psalms and not notice that there are just these cries of anguish and these deep questions, you know, where David is saying like, God, where are you? Like my enemies are about to destroy me. 
where are you? You know, it's like that's those are those like difficult moments that uh, again, like we're in very good company if if we're asking those questions and we're we're sort of struggling with how to answer. Right, but but my whole thing is to lean in, like not run from the, run from that, because I do think that there are good answers. Now, will we be led to this place of certainty? I, I, I'm sort of have a, you know, this this word certainty. I, I'm I'm not a big fan of it. I think it can mean too many different things. And my own view is to say, like, I don't I don't need certainty to commit my life to Christ and faith. I don't I don't really think we ever do get to that place of absolute certainty, especially the uh, the notion that, you know, philosophers, uh, fellow philosophers uh, would talk about. But I do think we get to that place of confidence. And that's, mm. you know, sometimes people just mean confidence when they're talking about certainty. That because the problem with certainty oftentimes is that, we have, you know, certainly there's sort of is is or it isn't. It's black or white. You're either certain or you're not certain. A little bit of lacking, you know, uncertainty and you're just not certain. Whereas confidence, I, I say, can uh, tolerate questions and even, as you say, mystery in a way that certainty can't. Uh, so in, in the chapter on certainty, I call it a house of cards that, you know, if we if we aim at certainty, all it takes is one question for the whole thing to come crashing down. Whereas I think if we aim for confidence, right, I can live with some questions because here's the reality. I've got questions sitting here right now that I don't know exactly how to answer. And if I needed to have certainty about my Christian faith in every aspect, then I'm hooped. And so the reality, but but what I do have is confidence. And, and that's, for me, at least going to withstand, you know, questions and even doubts that I may have. So letting that pressure out, knowing that, look, all we've got to aim for is confidence, right? I, I hope is just welcome news to the person who's just in the, in the throes of doubts, who, who've been beat up by doubts. But then don't, again, don't stay there. Lean into those and and begin to look for answers. And you know, we may not get it all solved and all figured out, but I promise you, out there, right, there are some really compelling answers to life's biggest questions, and I find those in the gospel. That's really good. I want to I want to close. I think with just a couple of questions about yeah. For us as parents, you know, we we want to pass our faith on to our children. Yeah. We want to see them converted, discipled to walk with God like we walk with God, you know, and it, it's funny how, how much that becomes so much, a, I'm not saying an obsession, but somewhat of, of, of an obsession, the older we get and the older our kids get and the, and the less control oh, yeah. we have. And it's just, just our, our prayer with that. How should parents handle these things? I mean, what, what kind of environment should parents create in our, in our homes so that kids not only can ask questions, but really, can, you know, have their own encounter with God and their own yeah. wrestling with God. Yeah. So one thing that we've tried to do ever since our kids were young, and like I said, we've got teenagers and preteens uh, right here. now. Yeah, okay. Okay. Sup- support group I'll, here. I'll pray for you. Yeah. Yeah. And w- what we've tried to do is to really create a culture where asking questions is perfectly okay and, and even, you know, deeply encouraged. And so, and, and we just say, like, no question is out of bounds. 
there's been a couple awkward situations, you know, with the younger ones or whatever. And we might say, hey, let's, <laughs> we'll pursue that one with the younger ears, not there. But ask away, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So we've really tried to cre- create that culture that they know, because I, I want them to not, you know, so they're going to have questions. And when they do have questions, I want them to to come to me and come to my wife as as people that they trust and that people that can speak into it. Again, I want them to go to their youth pastor and their friends and they'll probably, you know, Google things and so on. Like, that's okay, but but keep me in the conversation too. I think what happens just a lot is is our homes aren't really, you know, don't have that culture of where it's okay to just ask anything. And then students, you know, get onto a college campus or whatever. And it's really like, I want, I, I want, what I really aim for with my own kids is that wherever they go to school and, you know, DBU, hopefully we'll see, but uh, it's definitely, you know, cost effective for me, but, um, right. but right, wherever they end up, I want those deep and difficult questions to feel familiar to them, right? When they're when they're now out of my home. And so we've tried to be real intentional just in, you know, we try to have a sort of family devotional time each evening and again we'll we'll do a variety of things but definitely circle back to some of those those big things. And I think a lot of things that they're dealing with are not often the sort of traditional apologetics questions that uh, we tend to see a lot of the books written about and things like that. Um, like, for, for example, my kids, especially the older ones, now have friends who are, you know, going through the gender uh, struggles. They're, my kids are in public school. You know, they, they have the gender stuff. They have the they, – they, for a little while, uh, two of my daughter's friends were dating – Right, two mm. two girls were dating, which I just didn't have that growing up. You you probably didn't have that growing no. up either. So it's like they're they're just living in a reality that's different that way. And so t- let's talk about it. And I you know we've just tried to like, and it, you know because I think they they have faces that come to mind when they're asking questions about same sex attraction and you know homosexuality and things like that. Whereas I, you know, I do too, but right, it's a little more removed and, and I can just have that discussion in a more uh, kind of uh, impersonal way. And so just trying to process that with them. And those are ongoing conversations that haven't been like a slam dunk success uh, for my wife and I so far. I mean, we're still kind of uh, talking through some of those things. But I think the the most important thing is just to create that culture so that they can feel encouraged and motivated to to come to you as as the parent when they do have those questions because that's that's the kind of thing that I think pays dividends you know it may not go super well like I've, I alluded at first and maybe you know kind of hard to do it and it may not seem very productive but I think that pays huge dividends down the road as they face these sorts of things and and sort of make up their mind about their faith because they have to own their faith it cannot it cannot be the case that they borrow mom and dad's faith forever mm. and so when that crisis moment hits right are they going to come to you for guidance and help or not i think that's that's what you kind of invest in you know from young age mm. to the teen years and beyond by creating that culture mm. great stuff man travis this has been really great stuff i want to encourage folks to 
check out your work. Uh, you can go to travisdickinson.com. We'll have links in all the show notes. And check out his latest book, Wandering Toward God, Finding Faith Amid Doubts and Big Questions. You can find that everywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes Noble, uh, Christian Book, independent bookstores, whatever. And we'll have links to that. But man, Travis, thank you. And I'm so glad that you're teaching the next generation how to wrestle Thanks, with, with their faith and uh, yeah. grateful for your work and thankful for the ways that you serve the church. Well, thanks, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Way Home Podcast with Daniel Darling. For more information, you can visit danieldarling.com. If you do like this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast catcher. We also encourage you to rate and review so others can know about the podcast. You can follow me at at Dan Darling on Twitter or go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Daniel M. Darling. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. Podcast.